All right, Hillcrest, let's take our Bible and be finding Paul's letter to the Colossians, Colossians chapter number two, once again this morning. If you need a Bible, don't have one with you, there's one should be uh, in a pew rack uh, near where you're seated, and you can turn to page 924, and you'll be right where your pastor is uh, this morning. If you have your own Bible, electronic or print, just power it up, open it up, whatever, and be finding the brief but power-packed letter to the Colossians. This morning, we're going to talk about the importance of living in a way that pleases our Lord, as Paul makes a bit of a turn in his letter from theology to practice, to what we know about the Lord, to from how, what we know about the Lord to how we live for the Lord. Uh, several years ago, an investment brokerage firm came out with an ad campaign. And in that ad campaign, which you could see on TV in the form of a commercial, a client would walk into a branch office and meet with a financial counselor. And then when that client would walk out the glass doors onto the sidewalk to begin his or her journey up or down the street in whatever direction they chose to walk, it was interesting because when they came out that door, they had an arrow, moving arrow on the sidewalk that was moving in front of them, leaving behind a bright green line on the sidewalk. That arrow would go a certain direction and the person would just follow the arrow. And when the arrow turned right and the line turned right, they would just simply stay on the line, kind of like Dorothy staying on the yellow brick road, just follow the yellow brick road. Well, if you work with this particular investment brokerage firm, all you have to do is stay on the green line, right? And the whole point was to reach an intended destination, to reach some kind of goal. All of us have retirement goals or financial goals, and we need people sometimes to help us along that end. And the company wanted everybody watching commercial to know that their counsel could be trusted. We're going to guide you toward a intended destination, and all you have to do is follow the green line, stay on the path, and you'll get right where you desire to be. Can I ask you a question this morning? Don't you wish following the will of the Lord were that simple, that clear-cut, all the guesswork taken out of it? Well, it's not quite that simple or clear-cut. There are times that we have to indeed walk by faith, and not by sight, a walk of faith. You never really have 100% certainty about specific turns that you may need to make. But the bottom line is we have the Word of God. And when we have the Word of God open before us, and when we have the Spirit of God living within us, we have everything that we need from a spiritual perspective to arrive at spiritual goals. We have enough between the Word of God and the Spirit of God to know how we ought to walk so that our lives bear fruit, which is pleasing to God, which is really what our life is all about. The text that we come to today in Colossians 2 is a brief one, but many say that this represents the very heart of Paul's letter to the Colossians. In other words, if you're looking for a passage out of Colossians that would serve to summarize the main message in a nutshell, what Paul is trying to communicate, this probably 
would be as good as any as you would find. We're going to put it up on the screen, and I want us to read it out loud together. It's only two verses, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Are you ready to read? Say amen. Together. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Father, we pray for your anointing on your word today. May your spirit speak in unmistakable tones that your people might hear from you, that we might live in a way, walk in a way that genuinely honors Christ. In his name and for his glory, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but it's kind of interesting to me that as we've read through and and studied through Paul's letter to the Colossians, one of the things um, that if you were careful, you may have noticed is that Paul hasn't actually to this point told the Colossians to do anything. Every statement that he's made so far in this letter has been what grammarians call an indicative statement. In other words, it's just a matter of of fact statement. He he says matter-of-factly that he rejoices for what he hears about the church. And then he says matter-of-factly that here's how I'm praying for you as a church. And then he says matter-of-factly, here's who Jesus is and here's what I want you to know about Jesus. And then he says matter-of-factly, here's what Jesus did and here's the supreme ministry of Christ, reconciliation through his death, burial, and resurrection. And then he says matter-of-factly to the church that he's struggling on their behalf and that he, he's working diligently even though he's in prison for their betterment and for the betterment of all of the local churches, even those that he didn't have a hand necessarily in starting. But he hasn't actually told them to do anything up until this passage of Scripture here in chapter 2. And now for the first time, we see an imperative in Scripture alongside all of these other indicatives. We see command. And the command can be boiled down to this. This is the first command of Colossians. So walk in Christ. Now, I'd say that was a pretty important statement. Paul finally gets around to telling them what their obligation is in light of all of this rich theology, in light of all this practical information that they've been given. What are they supposed to do with it? And it's a beautiful and lovely summary. Therefore, based on all of this stuff I've just told you, so walk in Christ. The word walk is a very familiar word all over the New Testament. It's what we call a Hebraism. It's a Jewish way of talking about a course of life or a manner of life. It's a compound word. In a compound word, you take two words and squash them together to make another word. And that's what this is. It's a word that literally combines the word walk and the word around. And so the concept is to walk around, to move around, to come and to go. And it refers to our course of life, the way we live. And so when the Bible talks about a Christian walk, it's talking about how we conduct ourselves daily, how we live how we speak, how we walk. And we're to walk, to live in a manner pleasing to the Lord. Paul's already said 
the mystery of the gospel is unpacked in this phrase, Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. Now, understanding that, that you carry around Christ, which means you're a reflection of him, be very careful how you walk because others are watching. And if we've ever had a time, this has always been important in the life of the church. I'm not sure it's ever been more important than it is today because how we live makes all the difference. The church has been stereotyped for years. Whether that be right or wrong, we are stereotyped in the larger culture at large because many people see us and they say, there goes a people who preaches a big gospel but who don't necessarily back it up with the way they live. They preach a gospel, but they don't necessarily live the gospel. And that's how all this charge that we oftentimes hear leveled against the church, that place is full of nothing but a bunch of what? Hypocrites, that's right. And that's where it comes from because people see a disconnect. And most of the people that they know who claim to belong to Jesus Christ in terms of what they say about Jesus and how we live, there's a disconnect, there's an inconsistency. We oftentimes practically fall prey to the fallen gospel of cheap grace. And we use the forgiveness of God as some kind of license to do whatever we want. The proverbial license to sin. And that's how we get tagged as being hypocrites. But never forget that actions are always more forceful than words. The British pastor Spurgeon used to say that people tend to view words as pennies and deeds as dollars. And that's true. When it comes to your testimony about Jesus, how you walk, how you live, makes all the difference. So the question is raised this morning, how do I walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? How do I walk in Christ? Well, Paul refers to, in these short verses, very short passage, And in a short passage, you might think, okay, we're going to get by with a one or two point sermon. I got a five point sermon for y'all today. I'm telling you, there's a bunch in here. As the old saying goes, it's pregnant with meaning. And so let me give you five absolutes about walking in Christ that I think we all do well to notice. Y'all ready to run fast this morning? Amen. First of all, you need to receive Christ relationally. Walking in Christ is predicated upon knowing Christ because you can't very well walk with Christ if you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Christ that's based on faith. And this is why Paul in this passage immediately correlates walking with receiving. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's kind of a reflection of what Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be what? You must be born again. And that's what receiving Jesus as Lord is all about. Paul says, or John rather, says in the opening of his gospel, in the gospel of John chapter 1, he says that when Jesus came in the flesh, he came unto his own people, but his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. The Jews rejected Jesus. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But then notice what John says in the next verse, John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, which is how you receive the Lord, you trust in his name, you believe in his name, to those who received him, God gave the right to become what? Children of God. 
Oftentimes you'll hear it say, hey, we're all God's children. That's not technically true. We're all God's creation. We're all God's offspring. But we're not all God's children. You have to become a child of God. To as many as received Christ, to them God gave the right to become children of God, which implies that you weren't until you believed in Christ, to become children of God, even to them who believe on his name. And so this business about receiving Christ is non-negotiable when it comes to walking in a Christian manner, because you can't do it without the empowering of the Christ who is first alive and residing in you because of faith. The way you connect to God is through this vital, life-changing relationship that comes only when you receive Jesus into your life as Savior and Lord, and that always is a matter of faith. That never happens by doing anything. It happens by faith. You trust Jesus, trust what he did, dying on the cross, being buried in a rock tomb, rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, one day promising to come again. That's the gospel. You hear the gospel. And by faith, you believe the gospel. And by believing the gospel, that means you embrace the gospel. You own the gospel. And it's all a free gift. That's the thing about eternal life. You can't do anything to deserve it. You just have to receive it. That's what you do with a gift. If I give you a gift, if, if I make you hand me a $100 bill in exchange for my gift, it's not a gift. You just bought it from me. But you can't buy salvation because Christ already bought it for you. Amen. And he did it when he died on the cross. So that as many as received him to them who simply receive him by faith, he gives the right to become children of God. You receive it as a child receives a gift at Christmas time. And it becomes no longer yours, but now mine. I own it. And Paul's very clear. What is it that we receive? Jesus Christ. And he's very specific here. Just as you received Jesus as Lord. And that's very important. Not a Jesus of your own making. Not a cultural caricature of Jesus. Not what somebody else says Jesus really is and came to do. No. Just as you received Jesus Christ the Lord. Did you know that was the earliest confession of the church? The earliest Christian confession was simply this. Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul's already defined who that Jesus is in Colossians 1. That Jesus who is God the Son. That Jesus who is Lord of creation. That Jesus who's the center of the universe. That Jesus who is head of the church, preeminent, supreme God the Son, that Jesus that was the focus of all of the early preaching of the first century church, it's that Jesus that you embrace and receive into your life, not a concocted Jesus, but a sovereign, supreme Jesus who is indeed Lord of all. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says it, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as what? Lord with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. So mark it down. There's no way to walk in the ways of Christ, 
No way to have hope for eternal life in Christ without first receiving Christ relationally as Savior and Lord of your life. Everybody with me? Say amen. Now, with that in mind, walking in Jesus means secondly, not only receiving Jesus, but abiding in Jesus and abiding in Christ daily. So you receive Jesus once into your life. And you ought to be able to articulate when that happened. When did you receive the Lord? That happens one time, point in time in the past when you repent of your sin and trust Christ to save you. But abiding in Christ is an ongoing perpetual relationship with Jesus. That's every day. The Bible says that we walk by means of this direct connection with Jesus who is our life-giving source. And we know that from the language Paul uses from the illustration of the garden. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him rooted in him. Now again, that's an illustration. All you got to do is look outside. You'll see trees all over our beautiful campus here at the corner of Nine Mile and Guidey Lane. And every one of them got a root system that goes deep in the ground. Some of those trees are old, old, old. And they're thriving and alive because the roots in them are established and they go down deep. That's how they live. They got roots buried deep within the soil providing nutrition for the tree so that it continued, can continue to be sustained. The roots are the source of life. And in the same way, a holy, productive Christian life, Christian walk, is directly related to the most important life principle of all that comes from John 15. I think it's the most important command Jesus ever gives, particularly those who know him. And it is this command where Jesus says in John 15, abide in me. I did a whole sermon series a few years ago just on the first part of John 15, on this business of abiding in Christ. Because when it comes to living for Jesus, there is nothing more important than that. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 4, abide in me and I in you, Christ in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, Jesus' metaphor and Paul's metaphor are exactly identical, but they basically teach the same thing. You gotta be connected to a life-giving source, whether it's roots in the ground or branches on a trunk. It's the same principle. Life flows from that connection to a greater life-giving source. In fact, uh, this calls to mind, at least to my mind anyway, the very first psalm which is one of the favorites, my favorite for sure, where the psalmist says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And that man, the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, is like a tree planted by rivers of living water. That's what Paul is getting at here. This word that Jesus used, talking about abiding, is a word that literally means to reside or to dwell. And so I've always remembered it this way. To abide is to reside. Why don't you say that with me? To abide 
is to reside. It means to make your dwelling in Christ. See, Christ already made his dwelling in you. Christ in you happens the nanosecond you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. But the question is, have you made your residence in him? That's why Jesus gives us a command. See, if that were automatic, there's no need for Jesus to command us to abide in him. Now is there? It just happened. The command is unnecessary. But he tells us to do it. Because even though we will never become severed from the vine, we can become disconnected from the vine. And even though Jesus will never forsake you, you sometimes, can I get a witness today? You can, you can drift from Jesus. You can lose your connection to Christ in a fellowship sense. Not in a relational sense, but in a fellowship sense. And that's why Paul comes along and says you need to be rooted in Christ. And Jesus comes along and says you need to abide in me because those things don't just happen. You got to do them. Now, you don't have to do anything to be saved. But there's some things you have to do in order to abide. I mean, I'm just saying, you got to connect with Christ. he got to be your best friend, closest companion. And you have to make him your very home. We get our word abide from the word abode, which is a word that means home or house. So we need to make our residence in Christ just as he has made his residence within us. Because if you don't do that, you won't walk consistently in Christ. You'll be like a one-winged butterfly. I mean, you may move in spiritual circles, but man, it won't be productive. It won't be straight line. You'll just be fluttering around all over the place because you're disconnected from the life-giving source. So walking in Christ Got to receive Christ relationally. Got to abide in Christ daily. Third, got to grow in Christ consistently. There's just a lot in Colossians about the importance of growing. And Paul knows that they're doing it because right out of his mouth when the letter opens, he's praising them for their increasing faith and for their increasing love and for the hope that both their faith and their love were built upon. But he knows that they can get sidetracked And we all know how easy it is for us to get sidetracked in terms of our Christian growth. And so Paul uses a second metaphor. The first, rooted from the garden. The second, now we move on to the construction job site. And he uses a concept in verse 7, rooted and built up in him. And that's a construction imagery, built up. The idea is ever-increasing upward. The idea really carries behind it this idea of building on top of something else. And that's kind of what you do when you build a house. Isn't that right? You lay the foundation, and then you build the framing on top of the foundation, and then you build the roof system on top of the framing. But it's like one thing gets built upon another. This is how ancient civilizations, by the way, have been built over time. Ancient civilizations, you go over to Europe or different parts of the world where civilization has existed forever, and there's just one layer on top of another built on top of another. This is why we call them archaeological 
digs. Because when archaeologists work together, they keep going down, 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 down. Why? Because one layer of civilization is just built right on top of another. And in the same way, there's to be this layering effect that happens in every believer's life. Like used to be said with the K. Arthur Bible studies, line upon line, precept upon precept. We just build ourselves upward one layer over another, over another, over another. The point is you never stop growing if indeed you are truly walking in the Lord. This is the kind of walk that's always pleasing to God. Stagnation, satisfaction, those are words from the demonic. We're never to be satisfied. We're never to grow stagnant. Paul makes that clear in his letter to the Philippians. Not that I have attained all of this or have already been perfected, but I press on. I press on. That's a good thing to say with your pastor together. I press on. That's a commitment to not remaining stagnant. To take the gospel as it's been deposited in your life by faith. Never stop running with it. Never stop growing. The Bible teaches, 1 Peter 2, that we're like living stones. We're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy, circle the word holy, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Built up, that's the progressive nature of Christian growth. Brick by brick, stone upon stone, layer upon layer. And again, what's the point of that? Do you grow just to show off how smart you are and how much Bible memory you've committed uh, to memory, how much scripture you've committed to memory, how much of the Bible you know? Is it all about you? No, it hasn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with the effectiveness of your witness for God. Your life fundamentally is not about you. It's about bringing honor and glory to the God who made you. That's why you're here, not to make a name for yourself. One of the most sobering things in life is the reality that nobody's on this earth, nobody's going to remember who you are two generations after you're dead. Most of y'all in here probably have difficulty naming your great-grandfather, certainly your great-great-grandmother or grandfather. Nobody's going to remember who you are, even in your own bloodline. That's why if you get too wrapped up in self, you'll be way off the mark, man. But let me tell you, somebody that's never going to forget your name, and that's the risen Christ. And that's why you live for him, for the one who died for you. Your life is to bear an abundant harvest of fruit that brings honor and glory to the Christ who died for you. For you. And the way that you do that is by never being satisfied, continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that means consistent faithfulness to the spiritual disciplines. Man, it's not rocket science. Part of our job is just to keep repeating the same things over and over and over and over again. You got to read your Bible, right? Well, I know that. Well, I'm not saying that you know it. I'm asking if you're doing it. Not just reading the Bible, you've got to study the Bible. You have to absorb the Bible. You don't just do it to tick it off a list, though having a plan is critical because you probably won't read if you don't have a plan to read. But you've got to 
know your Bible. You have to study the Bible because there may be a time, probably there are lots of times on a daily basis, you don't have one at work. What if you get in a spiritual conversation with somebody that needs to know Jesus? This is why you got to hide the word in your heart. Not only that you might not sin against God, but so that you might be able to give a defense for the hope that lies within you with meekness and with respect. So you know the word, you learn the word, you study the word, you commune with Christ in prayer, you pray. Well, I know I'm supposed, I'm not saying do you know it, I'm asking if you're doing it. We all know it. So I got to keep saying it until I know 100% of people are actually doing it. Coming to church, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. Eric Mitchell and I heard the stat this week from the Barna Research Institute that does all kinds of Christian-based research for the church, and the, the figures, the latest figures are in, uh, the average active church member, active church member, the average active church member is present with their local church in a worship service 1.7 out of every four Sundays in the United States of America. It's now dipped, a church attendance has now dipped to less than two out of every four Sundays. We got a different crew every week. It's like people get on the phone. Hey, I wasn't there last week. I'll be here this week so you can take next week off. It's almost like that happens. We're more mobile than we've ever been before. We got more RVs than we've ever had before. We got more kids in travel ball, travel dance, whatever the case might be. There's always something to take you away from the body of Christ. And I'm just saying you got to be very careful if that happens because, listen, if you play fast and loose with something that's basically as easy to do as getting up, getting dressed, and coming and taking a seat... What are the odds of us playing fast and loose with spiritual stuff that like requires a lot of effort and a lot of work that sometimes can require hours of my time? You see my point? 1.7. When I was a kid, if there were four Sundays in a month, how many Sundays was my mama dragging me by the nap of the neck out of bed to go to church? Four. We might get off two Sundays a year for vacation and we had to get the preacher to okay that. <laughs> Not really. But you all know what I'm saying. But I've got all these distractions. And you have to be very careful because things can surely get in the way of your growth. And if you're not growing, I'm not sure you can say, I am walking in Christ. Okay? I got to keep moving because this is a five-point sermon. Number four, cling to the teachings of Christ faithfully. Now, this is a very specific part of the last one. Grow in Christ consistently, but as you grow, don't you get removed from the historic gospel, which is Christ and Christ alone. 
his death, burial, and resurrection. That's part of the reason we have Colossians in our Bibles because Paul was really concerned about this Colossian heresy that he knew was being taught not only in Colossae but in many of the strategic population centers where churches had been planted. These guys coming in with smooth talk and erudite sophistication and they're saying, oh, listen, we understand that business about Christ, but let me just tell you, there's more than one way to God. And the main thing is, just be sincere. Just be true to whatever God emanation that you want to grab hold of because there's more than one pathway that leads to heaven. And this drove Paul more crazy than anything else that he ever had to deal with. He got more angry over this because he knew that if the gospel were corrupted, the people's eternity was on the line. There was only one gospel. There's only one Savior. There's only one Christ, only one cross, only one empty tomb, only one pathway to God. Jesus said that. I and I alone am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the door. I and I alone am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I didn't say that, neither did Paul. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said about himself. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's an exclusive gospel. And that's what Paul wants us to have a bulldog grip on. Therefore, so walk in him, established in the faith. Circle the phrase, the faith. Not a faith, not a way, but established in the faith, just as you were taught. So this is a rallying cry, staying true to the historic gospel which is rooted in Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about Christ plus, Christ alongside, Christ with. It is about knowing God through knowing Christ what? Alone. Anything else is not only a false gospel, it is no gospel at all. In fact, look what Paul says in the very next verse. It's not even in our text today, but it could be verse 8 of Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Paul says, stick to the tradition you got from us, the tradition of the gospel, which involves the message of Christ and Christ alone, just as you had been taught. So walking in Christ, glorifying God with your life means tightly clinging and faithfully living according to the teachings of Christ alone and the gospel of Christ alone, okay? Y'all still with me? Say amen. amen. Lastly, In the first service, instead of saying number five, I said chapter five, and everybody started laughing because it felt like chapters instead of points. Number five, respond to the grace of God thankfully. Respond to the grace of God thankfully. Therefore, so walk in him abounding in thanksgiving. Have you all ever noticed how many references, particularly in the New Testament, there are to thanksgiving? It's just all over the place. Not only the New Testament, the Old Testament too. All these references. There's a lot in the Bible about suffering. We don't like to read that. There's a lot in the Bible about struggle. We're not crazy about that either. It's part of the Christian life. 
sin fallen world, hostility to the gospel, involves suffering and struggle. But even when we suffer and even when we struggle, the Bible says there's this incredible disposition that comes with someone who has received Christ Jesus the Lord and is rooted in him and abides in him in a daily relationship. You have a completely different way of encountering struggle and suffering. In fact, you can eat it for breakfast. You can laugh at the days to come. You can struggle with joy because the Bible says in everything give thanks. Every situation, every circumstance, every sour event, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. And without gratitude, I'm not sure you will successfully walk in the Lord because without gratitude in this world that we live in, Man, the, 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 the mattress, have y'all ever tried to be underneath a mat- mattress? Mattresses are designed to sleep on top of them. You get underneath one, you're in trouble. You get on top of them, you rest easy if it's the right kind of mattress. Amen. Don't get underneath one. Get underneath one, you'll suffocate. And part of the problem is if you don't learn how to rejoice and to keep singing, to maintain your song, you'll start to choke. And I just don't think you walk effectively and faithfully in the Lord when you're walking around choking all the time. No. God wants you lifted up, walking light in power and in might, in the very spirit of God. In fact, the way that you live with thanksgiving is by reminding yourself of all these things. I've received the Lord as a grace gift by faith. I don't deserve to be saved But Christ died for me anyway because I've got this opportunity to root myself in Jesus and to abide. I can actually abide in the king of the universe every day, moment by moment. What a blessing that is, man. If that doesn't set fire to your wood, you got wet wood. And it's because I'm being built up in faith that the Lord gives me an opportunity to grow and not stay stagnant, not stay where I am. What an opportunity we've been given to live this kind of life. And what a tragedy that so many believers lose their song. It's like they receive the gospel and then they shift down into neutral and they quit their forward progress. No, man, we're designed to receive the gospel and continue to run with it joyfully. I was watching Monday Night Football last week and the Packers, I'd only only got to see the last couple of minutes of the ball game. And the Packers were playing the Lions. The Packers were behind by two points. And they were moving the ball. They were deep in the red zone, and time was running out. They were behind two points, moving the ball, about the score. And the Lions realized that they could run the clock out, and so they decided just to open up a lane. And uh, the Packers quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, handed the ball off to a running back, there was a hole there the size the semi-truck could go through it. And this guy ran right through it. And they were going to let him score. But he just, on the two-yard line, fell straight to the ground. Abruptly stopped his stride and just fell straight to the ground. Now, there were strategic reasons for doing that. Because they wanted the clock to continue to run. Right? Because they knew the lines didn't have any timeouts. 
and they were right there in front of the goalpost, so they were going to take their chance to let the clock run out. They didn't want to get the ball back to the Lions. So they're just going to stop, and the guy fell to the ground. So I get the strategic reason. What I don't understand, and this is why I never would have made it in the National Football League, because I'm just saying, you hand me the football, and I get a hole like that, I'm going all the way into that end zone. I don't care what the coach says. I'm scoring with the football. That whole idea of just being able to stop when the end zone is literally inches in front of you and falling to the ground would be foreign to most people and it would be foreign to me too. And it ought to be foreign to you if you're running with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a tragedy is there are people who receive the gospel into their life and then go straight to the ground with it. When we're designed to maintain the steady walk with the Lord that presses on through the good times and through the bad times of life. How in the world can you have the ball and not keep running? And yet it happens all the time in the kingdom of God. I tell you, there there are probably lots of reasons for that, but let me tell you, one thing is a common denominator. Whenever that happens, you know you have a person who is not grateful to God. They've lost sight of the blessings of God and they've began to focus on what causes pressure in life and it brings them to a dramatic standstill. They no longer walk in the Lord. That's why it's so important to live consciously with gratitude. I came into the office this morning and had my phone with me and I I receive a news feed every day of certain publications and one of them came up this morning from a business journal, Inc. magazine, a business journal. And the guy said, one question I ask myself every morning in order to counter the blues. And so I flipped up that. This was just two hours ago down in my office. And I flipped through that to read that article. And the question was, here's the question that this secular business writer asked himself every day. He said, I don't turn the phone on first thing. I don't look at social media. Heavens, I don't look at social media first thing in the day. The first question I ask is, what do I have to be thankful for today? Secular business writer. I, want, I'm a, I should write him a letter and ask him, do you read the Bible? Because that's like jumping right off of the pages of the New Testament. What am I thankful for today? And then he began to think about things and he would write them down. And when he realized how blessed he was in life, that wasn't the language he used, But when he realized all of the things he defined as good in his life, it totally changed the way he thought. And because it changed the way he thought, it changed the way he lived in life. That's why gratitude is so important. You'll keep running with the gospel. You'll keep growing. You'll keep abiding. You'll stay rooted. You'll want to go deeper in the Lord. And you'll give thanks even more abundantly the more you do that. And that's why Paul is wise to tell believers just like us, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Let me ask you a question. Do you know that you've received 
Jesus Christ as Lord in your life? Have you received Jesus, the Lord? Do you know for certain that you've been born again? And if so, there is a right response to the grace of God. You keep running with the gospel. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. This is God's word. And let all who agree with it say amen.